0: Well, that central theme of joy, we kind of began to unpack a little bit last Lord's Day. The Apostle Paul, in this brief but precious letter, exhorts the church in the mutual pursuit of everlasting joy. To this end, we observed that he calls upon them to adopt the mind of Christ, to, in effect, think like Jesus. We saw here that adopting the mind of Christ will lead us to think differently about everything and about every one. And this adapting or adopting of Christ's mind will move us to seek Christ's interest above our own interests. We will find today that tasting of the joys of Christ will require the adoption of his mind but in particular, the adoption of his interests. To make this more tangible and to put flesh on the bones, so to say, Paul gives or provides for the Philippians a very concrete example of what it means, what it looks like when one puts the interests of Christ above their own interests. And my hope today is that you're seeing the example that Paul places before the Philippians will. Encourage us to pursue not our own interests, but the interests of Christ. And I say it like that because it's not only pursuing others' interests that we need to do. You might even think back in Philippians chapter 2, the passage we're going to read from this. In just a moment, but let me just mention to you, he says back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that we should regard as more important than ourselves, others. Verse 4, that we should not merely look out for our own personal interests, but for the interests of others. He doesn't mean here that you need to lay aside your selfish interests in order to embrace the selfish interests of someone else. Selfish interests are never being commended here whatsoever. In fact, in the broad context here, he's going to say that we, in laying aside our personal interests and pursuing the interests of others, this is a way that we pursue the interests of Christ, but it's also assuming that the interests that those other people have are Christ-honoring kinds of interests. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but... I just want to throw that out there because sometimes I think we can read Philippians chapter 2 like we're being exhorted like two little selfish children and one selfish child is being exhorted to lay aside his toys in order to play with the selfish toys of the other person. Just get along with your brother and sister and do what they want to do today and the parent doesn't really concern himself with whether or not the brother or sister is actually asking for something that's good and helpful. And so we might feel like we're being told by Paul, just lay aside your self-interest and do what your brother wants. But what if he's selfish? What if he's wanting something wrong? Well, don't worry about that. Just just do what he wants. And that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul wants the whole of the church to be consumed with the interests of Christ. Well, with that in mind... If you have your Bible open there, let's look in Philippians chapter 2. And I want us to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 30, just the whole of the chapter. I think we have time for that today. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being Of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with Fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine or appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore... I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. What a wonderful chapter. It's hard just to read one chapter of Philippians. You just want to read the whole thing every time you you read a part of it. Well, it's in this section, within these 20 verses here, that we find what we mentioned last Lord's Day to be the key verse, I believe, of the book of Philippians, and that is Philippians chapter 2 in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We mentioned a a brother by the name of C.D.F. Mule, who translated this text in this way, adopt towards one another in your mutual relations the same attitude that was found in Christ Jesus. Adopt towards one another in your mutual relations the same attitude that was found in Christ Jesus. Well, this gets at the heart of Paul's exhortation to the church he desires them to complete his joy in the embracing and living out of a new attitude, a new mindset that is seen in Christ himself. But he wants to kind of flesh this out more. And to do that, to kind of put more flesh on these bones, so to say, he wants to paint a fuller portrait of Christ, and he does this by offering in the final verses of the chapter not only one, but two glorious examples of men who for joy before them have given themselves fully to the fulfilling of Christ's interests. And those two men are Timothy and Epaphroditus. And though Epaphroditus provides a delightful example that's worthy of our attention, our time is limited today, and we want to consider here Timothy at least as fully As we can look back again in the text of Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 19. and Let's just read these few verses that kind of focus our attention in on Timothy. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving with his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. We here were given kind of a, a mini biography of this young man by the name of Timothy. You know, church history has a lot to say about Timothy Various uh, legends and stories, some that are verifiable, some that are fanciful, uh, lots of conversations about his bones and where those are and where they've finally been laid to rest. If you're interested, you can see me later. I can tell you where to take a pilgrimage to go touch his bones. It won't do any good. It'll cost you a ticket and you'll waste your time, but let me know. I can tell you where to go. Well, we're not really interested in fanciful stories about Timothy's bones today, but we do want to know how we can put more flesh on the bones of Timothy and see him more fully. To that, we want to go to Scripture, and Scripture helps us get a better picture of this young minister of the gospel. Well, there are three things that I'd like to do today. If you're the note-taker, you can jot these down, and we'll try to fill these out as we go. Number one, I want us to consider the portrait that we have of Timothy that Scripture gives to us. So we're just going to kind of be moving through uh, sequentially through texts in the book of Acts and Paul's epistles. We're going to look at Timothy and kind of, kind of see what Scripture has to offer about him. Secondly, we're going to come back to this text in Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to learn that in these just couple of verses, Paul is going to take all of his experiences that he's had with Timothy, and it's like he just condenses them. And he just gives us these three pictures or three images of Timothy that he's like drawn from all of his encounters with Timothy over the years. And he wants to kind of coalesce everything down to these three things and say, look at that, that, that's what it looks like. When you're pursuing joy in Christ's interests, when you are living a life where you are pursuing joy in Christ, engaging in the church, living in such a way that you're fulfilling not your own interests, but you're fulfilling Christ, this is what it looks like. And it looks like this, and we're going to draw from this not, not just three principles on how to be a better pastor. I mean, I mean, if we were speaking at a pastor's conference, I suppose we could kind of gear it all that way. But what we're going to see here that these things that Paul highlights in Timothy, that he sees in Timothy, they are simply, it's simply a picture of a faithful Christian. I want to be a Christian. I want to pursue joy. I want to know Christ. How do I do that? What, is it, what does it look like? And we'll move from that, Lord willing, to some points of application that I hope can challenge us little bit. Well, let's begin with kind of a walk through the New Testament, and let's be introduced to this young man named Timothy. Well, in Acts chapter 16, let's just turn there. This is where we know Paul meets Timothy. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to We're going to have to be quick on uh, the verses themselves because there are, there are several, and I, I, I'm tempted to get bogged down. I do that. Uh, if you haven't realized that already, you'll realize that later. Um, but uh, it's, uh, there's just so, so much here. But in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, we are on the initial stages of Paul's second missionary journey, and he finds himself in the town of Lystra. It's, it's, in, uh, it's in an area of modern-day Turkey, kind of the southern middle portion of modern-day Turkey, if you want to get like a map in your mind. And Paul meets Timothy in Lystra. He is a disciple. Uh, he is a believer at this point. His mother is a believing Jew, his mother Eunice. And you might have read about Eunice and Lois, not Yodia and Syntyche from Philippians 4. We talked about them last week, but Eunice and Lois, his mother and grandmother who taught him the word of God. Paul talks about them a lot in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Notice what it says in chapter 16 and verse 1. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And it says that Paul wanted this man to go with him. Paul meets Timothy. Timothy is a new believer, but the question comes into my mind, when did Timothy come to Christ? And interestingly, the second missionary journey is preceded by, well, the first missionary journey, all right? I worked all week to figure that out. But if you look back in Acts chapter 14, this is the first missionary journey, and it says in Acts chapter 14 in verse 6 that Paul made his way to a couple of towns in the area of Lyconia. And the two towns that he comes to in Acts 14, verse 6, are Lystra and Derbe. And in verse 7, it says that he stayed there for a while, continuing to preach the gospel. And if you remember the story here in Acts chapter 14, uh, Paul is persecuted, uh, Paul suffers here, and young Timothy is in Lystra and most likely sees the apostle Paul's suffering Here's the Apostle Paul's preaching. This is the best contextual evidence I think we have for Timothy coming to Christ under the preaching of the Apostle Paul in his first missionary journey. Now, we don't know that Paul ever met Timothy. But we do know in Acts chapter 16, when he comes back through Lystra and some other towns, and he meets Timothy, he he says that this, this young man struck him. This young man caught his eye. And if you notice there in Acts chapter 16, verse 2, this, this man, Timothy, has a reputation amongst the saints in Lystra and 18 miles away in Iconium. The, the word about Timothy has traveled to another major city in this area, and Timothy This young disciple, it's probably not a few years separation between the first and second missionary journeys. And within a few years, Timothy has grown by leaps and bounds. He's caught the eye of the saints in Lystra. He's caught the eye of the saints in Iconium. Well, notice what happens in Acts chapter 16 in verse 1 or verse 3. It says Paul wants this man. Interesting phrase. I want that man. (laughs) I want him to be with me. And he takes him and he circumcises him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Well, not a lot of time here on this, but Paul's not having Timothy circumcised like the Judaizers there in Acts chapter 15 uh, want men to be circumcised, that he might be saved. But Timothy is a Jew by way of his mother's descent, His father was a Greek, an unbelieving Greek, and probably because of that, his father had opposed him being circumcised. But his mother being a Jew, the the line of, of descent would have fallen through the mother, and Timothy would have been considered a Jew. And Paul knows that on this missionary journey, one of the first things he does in every city is what? He goes to the synagogue, right? And if Timothy is an uncircumcised Jew, he would be viewed by the Jews as an apostate, and he'd be unwelcome in the synagogue. Paul says, we've got to take care of this. Now, you can already imagine Timothy's questioning this entire thing about, do I really want to go with the Apostle Paul? I'll make no more comment about that. Hopefully, we're all old enough to know what's happening here. This is going to be a no-fun kind of a moment, all right? Well, Paul and Silas, they meet Timothy. Timothy meets them, and Timothy must have been struck by the Apostle Paul. F.F. F. Bruce makes the comment in his notes on the book of Acts. He says that he no doubt found something exceptionally captivating about Paul's personality. For his sake and for the sake of the gospel to which Paul was dedicated, he was prepared to forget the ambitions which a young man of his gifts and opportunities could reasonably have cherished. His ready self-sacrifice and unfailing devotion were deeply appreciated by the Apostle Paul. Timothy is a young man of sound reputation in his city and the cities around, and Paul wants to do what? Paul wants to take him away. Paul wants to take him away to a life of suffering and persecution for the advancement of the gospel. Timothy doesn't sit there and say, but I have plans. I want to be somebody. I've got, I've got stuff on my list to do. Paul wants him. And Timothy can't say yes fast enough. We find Timothy again over in Acts chapter 17 in verse 14, and he is in Thessalonica with another man by the name of Silas. In 1715, we find that Timothy remains for some time before joining Paul later in Corinth. And if you jump over to Acts chapter 18, verse 5, it says, finally, Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, and when they did so, it says in Acts 18, 5, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word. He's been without Timothy and Silas for a while. They've been left in Macedonia. They've been doing ministry in Thessalonica and maybe Berea. And finally, they come to join Paul. He had waited for them in Athens. You might remember Athens in Acts chapter 17, where he goes to the Areopagus. And Paul waited for them there, but they never came. So he went on to Corinth, a little further south. And finally, when he gets to Corinth, uh, he preaches there um, does what he usually does, uh, preaches to the Jews. Uh, but eventually, he 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 can't preach much, and he has to join. Uh, this is where he meets up with Aquila and Priscilla. Remember them? He joins them in their tent making trade because Paul himself was a tent maker. So Paul's now having to work with his own hands and preach the gospel. But when Timothy and Silas come, Paul can now devote himself to preaching. Why? Because now Timothy and Silas are going to get a job. Timothy and Silas are now going to be supporting Paul in his ministry. Now, this speaks volumes to me of Timothy. Timothy doesn't sit there and go, man, back in Thessalonica, we were preaching. And now you want us to get a job? I mean, to a proud man, that might sound like a what? That's like a step down. But, you know, if I could shine the shoes of the Apostle Paul, I think I'd do that. Of course, he probably wore sandals. But I'd, you know... You want me to serve the Apostle Paul? You want me to get a job to support the preaching of the Apostle Paul? Okay, (laughs) I'll do that. I mean, can you imagine? You know, we're just sitting here one day having service, and uh, I have those moments where I think, you know, what if R.C. Sproul walks in right now? Do I just tell him, well, he's not going to walk in right now. He's busy in heaven glorifying the Lord, right? Let's say he walks in. I'm just going to say, R.C., good to see you today. Man, I got a great sermon today, buddy. You just sit there, all right? No, I'm like, dude, did you bring a sermon? You know, anytime you know anybody like that walks into a service, I'm like, oh, this is just like, terrifying. Um, the Apostle Paul walks in to town. I think it's just time for me to get a regular job, and I'll just make some money for Paul to do some preaching. Timothy and Silas were those kinds of men, enabling him to devote himself to the preaching of the word. We find Timothy again in Acts chapter 18 in verse 19. It says that they came to Ephesus and the they is including Timothy here. Now we come to Ephesus and they're doing ministry there and they stay there for a little while. They reason with the Jews in the synagogue. We find them again in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20 verse 4, this is the the passage where Paul is Paul is well. This is the context here is that Paul's going to be heading back to Jerusalem. Uh, this is the uh, kind of the end of the third missionary journey. Paul's going back to Jerusalem with a with an offering for the saints. Uh, he he knows that probably he's going to get arrested when he gets there. Uh, Timothy is here as well as another small group of men. In Acts chapter twenty verse four, we read of Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Tychicus, Trophimus. And there's Timothy stuck right in the middle of this man in, in this group. In Acts chapter 20, verse 10, we find uh, them at Troas. And uh, uh, Troas there, this is when Eutychus falls out of the window. And Timothy was there. Timothy was there and, and, and saw all of those events happen. He saw the Apostle Paul raise this man back from the dead well, that's the last encounter we have in the book of Acts, but look over in, uh, in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, in verse 21, we find Timothy mentioned again, and he is referred to here specifically as a fellow worker. Apparently, when he writes the book of Romans, Paul has Timothy with him, and he has several other men as well. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you and so do lucius and jason and Sosipater, my kinsman it's my one maybe well i think it's back in the book of acts too but here i get mentioned in the bible what a what a deal all right it's not much of a not much of a name but i got to hang out with paul apparently timothy is a fellow worker with the apostle paul 1 corinthians chapter 4 just turn over to 1 corinthians 1 corinthians chapter 4 verse 17 we find timothy mentioned again it says That for this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ Jesus. Now, get the weight of this. Paul sends Timothy to Corinth, kind of representing him to the church. Perhaps, perhaps Timothy was the carrier of the letter. We don't know, but he may have been the one that carried 1 Corinthians to the church there in Corinth. But notice how Paul describes him his beloved and faithful child in the Lord, which might lend credibility to the idea that Paul, it was Paul's preaching that converted Timothy. Uh, He's his convert, if you will. And he's going to remind the Corinthians of Paul's way. To remind the Corinthians of Paul's way would require Timothy to be what? Very acquainted with Paul's way. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, flip over there. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10. Paul says, If Timothy does come, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Timothy, we know from the book of 2 Timothy, had a tendency. To be a little different at time, a little timid, and he could kind of pull back when he probably should have gone a little more full throttle. And he he was afraid at certain times. The text that we just read there, um, I think that was in uh, in Timothy, wasn't it? Uh, from the uh, is that the reading of the law today? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, we uh, in Second Timothy chapter chapter one. No need to flip there, but it says later on in Philippians. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a power, love, and self-discipline, or a sound mind. And there, Paul is exhorting Timothy, don't be too timid, don't be too afraid. Stand for what is true there in the church. Back to, uh, uh, back to uh, 1 Corinthians 16, and verse 10, you may still be there. Um, notice that Timothy is not on his own. He is also traveling with some brethren, Travels with, with others that are also serving and ministering with the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, turn there. 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Timothy is referred to particularly as our brother. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, we're told that Timothy preached alongside Sylvanus and the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 1, 19. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes is yes in him. Well, let's not take time to, swift to, to turn to Philippians itself. We'll, we'll see that uh, later on. But look over in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Again, he's probably known here to the Colossians. He is referred to as our brother. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 through 17. We We won't read that, but... Let me highlight for you in verse 10, there are several men mentioned in these, 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 these verses. Aristarchus in verse 10, Mark in verse 10, Jesus in verse 11, Epaphras in verse 12, Luke and Demas in verse 14, Nympha in verse, um, well, Nympha is not, he's, he sends a, greetings, a greeting to Nympha, all right? But he, but he says Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas are all with him. They're all with him while he writes this letter. But if you turn back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, who is it that gets named in the opening superscription of the letter? It's not Aristarchus. It's not Mark. It's not Jesus. It's not Epaphras. It's not Luke. It's not Demas. It's Timothy. He's the only one. Of all the men that are with Paul, Timothy receives the mention in the superscription. We'll come back to that in a moment i think that's significant look over to 1st thessalonians it should just be almost across the page after the book of colossians there this is like a bible drill or straight through the new testament books here 1st 1 thessalonians 1:1 1, 1, paul silvanus and timothy to the church of the thessalonians in chapter 3 of 1st thessalonians in verse 2 we find that timothy again uh, is referred to as our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Now back up to verse 1. Let's just read that whole thing and understand what's happening, what he's saying here about Timothy. Therefore, when we can endure it no longer, we thought it best to, to be left behind at Athens alone. And what he's ta- The we here is Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are going to be left in Athens. They're going to send Timothy back to Thessalonia because they want to get a report of what's going on. And Timothy is given this, this charge to go and find out what's going on in Thessalonica. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ. And here's why. Notice the statement. To strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. It makes me think of Philippians chapter 1 when Paul says, that he believes he's going to remain on the flesh. Why? For your progress and for your joy in the faith. And here Paul says Timothy's job, Timothy's task was to strengthen and encourage the Thessalonians in their struggles. Notice right across the page in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, Timothy apparently comes back. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. So Timothy has now returned. Also, 2 um, Thessalonians. And there, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Again, just like with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, the writers of this, or the ones that are uh, the letters attributed to in the superscript, is Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Um, 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 2, tells us something else about Timothy. Again, he is referred to here as, in 1 Timothy 1, 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, there was a passage we saw in Corinthians uh, just a moment ago, speaking about uh, uh, kind of using terms, Paul using terms in I think it's uh, 1 Corinthians 4:17 uh Timothy is Paul's faithful child but here he is called my true child in the faith. Also 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18 we read this command I entrust to you Timothy my son. These are very intimate words that Paul uses for Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 20 First Timothy 6:20, "O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. There's this sense in Paul's epistles to Timothy that the baton, if you will, of the trust, of the truth, of the gospel, the faith, is being passed from that apostolic band, and now it's being passed to men who will guard that trust. It's not an apostolic succession. It's a succession, not of men, it's a succession of truth we might say. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 2. Again, the language of intimacy. To Timothy, my beloved son. So we've gone from things like true child, my son, to my beloved son, I love verse 4 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says that he longs to see Timothy, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. I mean, there's this mutual intimacy between Paul and Timothy. Paul is longing for Timothy. Timothy is longing for Paul. There's a joy that happens in the sharing of that intimacy between the two men We might say the relationship of Paul and Timothy is akin to that of a David and a Jonathan, or an Elijah and an Elisha, or a Moses and a Joshua, and now we have Paul and Timothy. I might even think of the apostles themselves. We think of Jesus and John, who's often referred to as what? The apostle whom Jesus loved. I mean, he loved all the apostles, right? He loves us all, but there was a special relationship between Jesus and John. The little book of Philemon, if you keep turning back uh, toward the book of Hebrews, Philemon, uh, you're going to miss it. Don't turn too many pages. It's just one little chapter here. And, And in Philemon 1, 1, again, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. One final reference here in this kind of whirlwind tour through the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13. We find Timothy in Hebrews? Well, sure, because Paul wrote Hebrews, right? Anyway. You know, what's interesting is that that some believe that Timothy wrote Hebrews and that Paul sneaks a little word in here about Timothy at the end of the letter. I don't know. Interesting. All right. Um, Notice what he says in verse uh, 22. But I urge you, brethren... Bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Now, released from what? I mean, that that just like whets the appetite for curiosity. What's he been released from? Well, he could have been released from prison. This is a term that's used sometimes of men that are imprisoned and they're released, they're set free. Or it's also used of men who are serving in particular capacities and they are then released from their responsibility and now they can go. Either way, Timothy's not with Paul or the writer of Hebrews, but he's going to be coming soon, he hopes. And when he comes soon, Timothy and the writer of the book of Hebrews, they hope, will be able to travel and come and encourage face-to-face. The believers. Now I want to return to something I mentioned a moment ago about Timothy appearing in the superscription of some of the letters. I know for some this may be just rather pedantic, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, the superscription of the letters. Maybe you're one of those people that reads a book and you skip the preface. Don't do that. It's like a great sin to skip the preface. All right, because there's all kinds of stuff. Don't skip the first couple verses in an epistle either. There's lots of stuff just packed in to those. Timothy is mentioned in the superscription to at least six letters of the Apostle Paul. There are four letters that Timothy is mentioned along with Paul alone. Second Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. All those letters are are letters that contain Paul and Timothy as kind of the points of origin of the letters. Now, most likely they're apostolic letters. Paul writes the letter. But that's what's so interesting. Timothy is probably not the author. Some speculate maybe he's what's called the amanuensis or the the copyist. Uh, there's, There's one guy in the New Testament that's actually mentioned as an amanuensis. It's in Romans chapter 16, it's a guy by the name of Tertius who apparently took down the dictation of the Apostle Paul for the letter of the Romans. Timothy may be the amanuensis, it's possible, but that's not a good enough reason to include him in the superscript. Timothy's probably not the author, that would say too much about the superscript, but it does strike you when you read it, why is Timothy mentioned? Nobody else is mentioned when there were plenty of men at Paul's hand to say this letter is coming from all of us. No, he simply says it's coming from me and from Timothy. And then in First and 2 Thessalonians, uh, we have, we have uh, Silas, or sometimes he's called Silvanus, and his name is snuck in there as well. And it's Paul and Silvanus and Timothy Like I said, there are others mentioned by Paul in the letters where Timothy name, Timothy's name is included in the superscription. In 2 Corinthians, it just mentions Timothy and Paul. But there's also Sylvanus and Titus and a guy called the brother, whoever he may be. In Philippians, we know that Epaphroditus was there. And it certainly would have been meaningful to the Philippians to receive a letter from Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Hey, he included our guy in the superscription. But he didn't do that. And then the little book of Colossians. Colossians has, a, has a, a virtual salad bar of men to choose from. Aristarchus, Mark, who in fact, in 2 Timothy 4.11, Mark is called useful to Paul. Remember Mark? John Mark, who abandoned Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Barnabas wants to take him with him on the second missionary journey, and Paul's like, eh, he's not coming. But somewhere along the line, Paul and Mark reconciled, and Mark becomes useful. Or there's Jesus. I mean, I mean, that's like it's like raw meat right there, right? You can say this is a letter to you from Paul, Timothy, and Jesus. Sounds good. That'll 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 catch their attention. He doesn't use and this is not the same Jesus, by the way. Anyway, it's okay. Nor is it Jesus. It's not not that good. Right. He has Epaphras, he has Luke, he has Demas. Kind of glad he didn't include Demas' name in there because we learned later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that Demas having, you know, he forsook Paul because he was in love with the world, right? Demas apparently was an apostate. And then in the book of Timothy, or Philemon, there's other men. There's Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke again. But Timothy is mentioned with Paul, the author, prominently. Timothy takes a position as first in rank of all these men. Well, Philippians chapter 2, verses 20 to 22, I want to direct us back there at this point, gives us an even closer look at this worthy brother so prized by the apostle. So turn back there in your Bibles, if you would, Philippians chapter 2. And having seen the breadth and scope of various texts introducing us to Timothy, I want us to take a closer look at some of the considerations that Paul gives of his character in light of those shared experiences. So we're going to take all that stuff we just kind of read through. You're thinking, man, there's a lot of stuff. I hope I didn't lose you in that. All right. And let's see if we can kind of like put it in the machine, whatever it's going to be, the blender or something like that. And let's just draw out some central driving principles of Timothy's character. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 20. He says, I have, I love this, no one else I have no one else. And you've, you've seen the list of guys Luke, who wrote two books in the Bible, a guy named Jesus, Aristarchus, Sylvanus, men of great worth and great character and sound conviction. And Paul says of Timothy, I have no one. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving with his father. Consider three things. Paul and Timothy share a kindred spirit. Paul and Timothy share a kindred spirit. Let me just give you these three and we'll come back and talk about them. Paul and Timothy share a kindred spirit. Number two, Paul and Timothy seek after Christ's interest. They seek after Christ's interest. And number three, Paul and Timothy serve as father and son. They serve as father and son. Well, consider briefly that these men share a kindred spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I haven't worn your finger out yet, let's look back there for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 10, this is a text we read from, but listen to it again. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. Do you notice that little bitty word there that showed a relationship between Paul and how he serves and Timothy and how he serves? As. As I also am. Help him. Love him. Care for him. Respect him. Why? Because he's doing God's work just like me. Second Timothy chapter 3. There was probably no one better qualified. No one that knew Paul like Timothy. Notice what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. He says you you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings. Listen, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra. That was on the first missionary journey. Before he quote unquote knew Timothy, but now he knows Timothy. And it's like, I know you were there. You were there. And you follow what I did on that day. Persecutions that I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. And notice that notice that phrase in verse ten, it says, You followed my teaching. Now it doesn't doesn't repeat my with each one, but just for emphasis and just to drive it home to your own heart and mind hear it that way. Now you, Timothy, followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions, and my sufferings. You followed them all. This is, not, this is not the following that you do on Instagram. This is not the following that you do on Facebook. It's not the following that you do on Twitter. Oh, I want to follow him. Let's follow him so you can see how many followers you have and how many people you're following. Now, this is not that kind of frivolous, silly following that our morbid curiosity just draws us into social media. Now, this is is an intense personal involvement of one man with another. No one knew Paul like Timothy. They share a kindred spirit, and literally here, kindred spirit can be translated like-minded. I think that's interesting in light of the things we said last week about the fact that we're supposed to put on the mind of Christ, the the same attitude of Christ. It's another term in the Greek text, but it it, it translates there as like-minded as well. Paul and Timothy are like-minded. Consider secondly, they seek after Christ's interests. They seek after Christ's interest, he says in verse 20, 21, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Now, who is they? We're not really sure, but he's he's not throwing Aristarchus and Luke and Mark and all those other guys under the bus. The they is not those guys. The they is other preachers that apparently are kind of traversing the scene but Paul's saying, with me right now, I have no one else and all the guys that I could possibly pick from. Timothy, you're you're the guy. You're, you're the you're the go-to guy here. Because everyone else is seeking after their own interests. Or literally, there's not a word. It's, inter- it's interesting. The word interesting is interesting. The word interest is interesting. Yes. Because there's no Greek word here for interest. It's just a... A noun that basically means, like a pronoun, that means the things. The things. You're seeking after Christ's things. And it's implied, isn't it, in verse 21? They all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What are you trying to say about Timothy? Timothy, you're different. You do seek the things of Jesus. You might remember a passage that Ryan pointed our attention to in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I think verse 24, and it says, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. That's, that's exactly what's going on here in the context of Philippians chapter 2. He's saying, look, don't just seek after your own things. Your things may be important. Your things may be great. Your things may be wonderful, but you need to be drawn by higher things, the things of Christ. The things of Christ, listen, the things of Christ always trump your things. Do you get that? When I was a boy, my mom and dad played 42 all the time. Anybody here old enough to remember the game of 42? A couple of us. We all need to go to the nursing home next week, you know, and we can get a table and play some dominoes together. It's a domino game, and you got, you got, oh, well, if you, spades or spades or trumps, whatever. So you have trumps, and you, you, de- you determine what's going to be the trump at the beginning of each game. You know, sixes are trumps, or twos are trumps, or blanks are trumps, or something like that. And my mom was sly. Oh, she was sly, deceitful and sly, just almost evil. I wonder if she's watching today. Yes, because she would always hold that last little domino down here in the bottom. And just when you thought she was going to lose the game, she trumped the hand and stole the show. Brothers and sisters, the desires of Christ, the interests of Christ, need to trump everything in your life, good and certainly bad. Oh, but my my interests are good and noble and right. Right. They need to be submitted to Christ. They need to be humbled. You need to be willing to admit that perhaps your perception of your interests may be skewed, but Christ's interests are always right. Consider third, quickly, they serve together as Father and Son. They serve together as Father and Son. He has this wonderful statement here, but you know of His proven worth. That he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 16, we read this about about Timothy. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. I, I get that. In verse 16, he says, be imitators of me. Paul would often say things like, follow me as I follow Christ. All right, You want to be able to say that to somebody, right? Follow me as I follow Christ. you feel, oh, that, that sounds too proud. Right? Well, if you're really following Christ, tell somebody to follow you. I mean, follow, be a good example in that regard. But here Paul says, I exhort you to be imitators of me for this reason. For this reason. Because I want you to imitate me. I'm sending who? Timothy. Isn't that great? I want you to follow me, so look at Timothy. Because he does what I do. He, he walks like I walk. He's engaged in the things I'm engaged in. He's interested in the things I'm interested in. Why? Because like a son serving with his father, we're interested together in one thing. And one thing only. And that's the things of Christ. We want the things of Christ. Do you? Do you want the things of Christ above Your things. Brothers and sisters, listen. If you don't want the things of Christ above your things, then you're pursuing your things in spite of Christ's things, and that is sin. And it will not, listen, it will not lead to joy. It will lead to everlasting sorrow. Brothers and sisters, we are to be those who pursue the things of Christ. And he does it following... as a son does his father. My dad and I were laughing about a, a little plate. A little plate that's at my mom and dad's house. It's in the china cabinet of all things. All these beautiful things my mother's collected from over the years. And there's a plastic plate in the china cabinet. And it has a picture of my dad and I working on a car. All right? And so this was probably like, Yeah, 1972. Yes, Ryan, it's before you were born or even thought about. Okay? And uh, I'm feeling old. So there it was, a little plate made in kindergarten, and it was for Mother's Day. This is the way a boy loves his mother. On Mother's Day, he makes a plate with a picture of his dad and him on it. And I gave this to my mom, and it had a picture of me and dad with his toolbox. My dad had the coolest toolbox. It had this leather handle. It was metal. had a leather handle, and I would want to carry it all over the place, all right? And we're working on a car, and the car we're working on is is a racing car with a big number five on it. If you're old enough to think 1972, big number five colored racing car, this is Speed Racer, all right? There it was. I was working on Speed Racer with my dad, and that was cool. That was awesome. Why? Because I was with my dad. And a boy has those few but precious sweet moments where he just wants to be like his dad. He just wants to do what his dad does. He is pursuing the things of Christ. Let me just ask you a few questions as we wrap this up. Considering Timothy and Paul in their labors together of kindred spirit, pursuing Christ's interests, laboring as father and son, let me ask you just a couple of questions. Thinking on Paul and Timothy sharing this kindred spirit, who are your closest friends? Who are your closest friends? There were lots of ways to kind of go and try to press this and apply this, and I'd I thought I'd go this way. Who are your closest friends? The proverb says in Proverbs 13, verse 20 that he who walks with the wise grows wise, and the companion of fools is destroyed. I believe that Paul's closest friend in this world was Timothy, he had no one else. Let me ask that question a little differently, not just who are your closest friends, but who's your Diana Barry? You're thinking, what did he just say? Some of the girls got it. Who's your Diana Barry? Who is your bosom friend? Well, you didn't expect that, or you just didn't understand it, or you've just never seen Anna Green Gable's. You're just too manly for that. I know. I understand, Joe. Just too, totally too cool for any green games. Come on. Well, I'm not talking about two silly girls, two silly teenagers, but I, I love the, 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 that story between Ann and her little bosom friend, Diana Barry. Anne says that a bosom friend is an intimate friend, you know, a really kindred spirit to whom I can confide my innermost soul. I've dreamed of meeting her all my life. I never really supposed I would, but so many of my loveliest dreams have come true all at once that perhaps this one will too. Do you think it's possible, she's saying, that I could truly have a bosom friend? Paul found in Timothy a kindred spirit. Friend, who is your kindred spirit? Let me ask you this other question about them. Why are they your kindred spirit? Why are they your bosom friend? Is it because they pursue the interests of Christ? Or is it just because they're all about what you're all about? Don't we like people that are about what we're about? We all love people that like what we like. And they want to talk about what we like. They want to hear what we want to talk about. They want to listen to us all the time. Let me just say, that's understandable. But it's a selfish and worldly way to choose a friend because it's not wisdom. Wisdom would exhort you to pursue a friendship with someone who pursues Christ above all things. And if they're pursuing you, they may not necessarily be pursuing Christ. Considering Paul and Timothy's joint seeking of Christ's interests, let me ask you, what do you really love to do? What do you really love to do in life? I I think if we ask Paul, Paul, what do you love to do? I love to pursue the interests of Christ. Timothy would say, I love to pursue the interests of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, when I became a man, I did what? I put away childish things. You ever get frustrated, parents, with your kids... Who talk about and pursue these silliest things in the world. And you're just like, oh my goodness, how can I possibly turn the conversation to something helpful? You know why they do that? Because they're children. Let me ask you, mom and dad, what do you spend your time talking about? I wonder if your children ever go, man, I really wish my mom and dad would pursue the things of Christ because all we talk about is whatever. Whatever. Taking Paul's exhortation in First Corinthians thirteen, we might consider growing up in our conversation and pursuing the things of Christ. Well, one final question: Considering their service together as father and son, remember what it said there in Philippians chapter two and verse twenty-two. He says, "You know his proven worth." They, the Philippians knew. Remember, he came from Lystra, and he came from Lystra to Philippi with Paul. You know his proven worth. He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving with his father. Is the advancement of the kingdom of Christ that thing that you seek above all else? And you say, well, isn't that for pastors to do? Hmm. I don't think so. Pastors should do that. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, and he was speaking to everyone there on the hill that could hear him. Smack in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount to a group of people who were worried about what they were going to wear, what they were going to eat, what they were going to drink, where they were going to go, what life was going to bring to them. Thinking about tomorrow, thinking about this world, thinking about the things of the world, Jesus looked smack at them and said, You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Friends, our lives are taken up with so much concern about the future. If you're young here today, you're concerned about what you're going to be when you grow up, who your friends are going to be, what you're going to do, what kind of mark you're going to make on the world. Maybe if you're a man here, you have a job and you're thinking, is this all there is? Is this what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life? I don't think I'm making enough money. I'm not going enough places. I'm not ascending the ladder at work. If you're a mother and you're with your children during the day, maybe you sit there and think, you know, you know I just don't know if, if this is all I'm supposed to do. Maybe there's some grand thing I'm supposed to do out there. Wherever you may be, your central driving concern needs to be the kingdom of Christ. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And God's going to do what? With your food and your clothes, and your job, and your friends, and your stuff. He'll do what? He'll take care of everything that you need because you have determined to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Beloved, in that, in that there is the finding of true joy. And as a church... Let us strive to be a church that pursues the interests of Christ above all things and to do it together for joy and for the glory of God. Let's pray together. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we bless you for your word. We bless you for this brief look at this man that perhaps we didn't know as well as we thought when we began. Your word tells us that we should consider those who have led us, consider those who have spoken the word of God to us, that we should consider the outcome of their lives, and we should imitate their faith. Oh, God, I pray you would help us to consider this man, Timothy, today. That by the grace of Christ, by what Christ has done with his life, he has given us a grand example. He's the example that Paul held out to the Corinthians. Imitate me, he said. Imitate me, follow me. And for this reason, I sent you, Timothy. Oh, God, you have recorded this for us in the word of God that we might read about it, that we might hear it, that our hearts might be washed with this water of the word. And I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that you would do that, that you would wash us with the water of the word, that you would reorient the affections and the desires of our heart, that we would, above all things, pursue Christ, pursue his interests. Oh, we thank you, O God, for the Lord Jesus and how he transformed Paul's life, how he transformed Timothy's life. And oh God, for the glory of Christ and the good and the everlasting joy of our own souls, would you transform our hearts and souls by Christ's grace this day, we pray.